Hello and welcome to Horror. This is a fortnightly podcast in which myself, Lee, and Adam will be taking our friend Chris on a journey through the twisted world of horror cinema in the hopes of introducing him to some of the many delights the genre has to offer. The premise is very simple. We will sit down together and watch a film. As soon as it's finished, we will sit down and record the podcast immediately afterwards. As such, it will be very spoiler-heavy, and we do suggest you watch the film yourself before listening to the podcast, not only so we don't spoil it, but also so you know exactly what we're talking about. At the end of each discussion, we'll decide what film we'll be watching next, and we'll let you know so you have a fortnight to watch it yourselves, and then come on our journey with us again. Along the way, there will be facts, laughs, opinions, probably quite a lot of swearing. Any full frontal nudity will be completely irrelevant, as this is audio only. So, with the introduction over, it's now time for the podcast. Thanks for listening. Okay, so, fresh out of uh, Prince of Darkness, got to, say, got to say, I knew I didn't remember it particularly well, but I thought I remembered a lot more of it than I actually did. It was practically like I'd seen the trailer and I was watching the whole thing anew again, <laughs> which was excellent, really, for mm. a new well, John Carpenter. Yes. So, Chris. Yeah, first experience of John Carpenter. So I would say, overall, I really liked it. Mm, cool. Um, I thought the start was excellent. Um, it it could have been slow, but actually it really did a good job of drawing me in. And I think that was based on the music, um, which had a, a sort of deep uh, element to it. And that seemed to go with the film. And th- I liked the fact they were talking about some science stuff, because you know, mm. that was interesting. And I was thinking, <laughs> uh, how accurate are they? And you know, it seemed pretty good. Um, Considering it was the eighties as well, it's yeah. it still, a lot of it's still fairly relevant. Yeah. It was nineteen eighty-seven, was it? And they're doing quantum, yeah, quantum theory versus the Antichrist. Yeah, is pretty. <laughs> and I think that's probably what I don't because I don't think it was that successful on release. Hmm. And that's probably why, because I think it might have been a bit too smart for people. Yeah. <laughs> and the ancient alien line as well, which mm. I hadn't picked up when I saw it before. The mm. um, yeah, which was a nice, nice surprise to see that in there. I didn't remember. About to say, I didn't remember a lot. I remembered Alice Cooper. I remembered mm. Crucified Pigeon. I remember. I forgot that. I remembered the dream, and that and that dream yeah. used to hold yeah. the yeah. shit out of me. Because interestingly enough, because speak, like, speaking about music and everything, the dream has been sampled. Uh, um, it's uh, there's there's a Marilyn Manson cover of Gary Newman's Down in the Park, which starts with the. Nice, and it's all over the first DJ Shadow album introducing. Oh, it's right. it's like breakdowns all the way through. You suddenly just get the you're receiving this from the year one nine 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 and all those bits. Love um, DJ Shadow. Yeah, off subject. <laughs> Love DJ Shadow. <laughs> but I th- but also just even that where it's like oh, 
explained as um, yeah. like the tachyon theory yeah. of being able to send messages back, back but that they're neuro like if you were conscious then you're Mm. Uh, you know, neuro brainwaves were getting in the way, so yeah. he had to be asleep. And as I mean, considering how much output he he does, John Carpenter, mm. it, it's a it's a fantastic. St- not saying that normally if people write a lot of films, they're generally shit. But I'm, you know, I mean, like, there's a lot of there's a lot going on in that story for an hour and forty mm. minutes. Mm. There's a lot of elements that have been brought into it, Cause rather it's... than. Yeah, because it's because it's all hit. It hits a few of his, it hits a few of his classics. Because John Carpenter does sieges quite well. Yeah, like so. Because okay. like his first, the first film that the first sort of big hit that he had was a film called Assault on Precinct Thirteen, which is just which is a th- a crime thriller essentially, and it's these uh, criminals and police have to team up because it's a police station that's being closed down, but. Um, a local street gang are gunning for this particular precinct, mm. and yeah, that's so it's, it's an incredibly brutal film. Yeah, horrible, horrible film. Because I think a lot of in a good way. Yeah. Oh yeah. But, <laughs> but again, it has similar elements, and even when you go up to like Ghosts of Mars, again the same thing where it's the siege, mm. and you know I think John Carpenter really excels at that. And really, it's because of his sort of influence of westerns and things. Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah. So the way they all entered into the church, and then the zombie type uh, crowd started together. Um, yeah, and I, it was also interesting. I, the the ants at the start um, and the rest of the insects. Mm. I don't know. Had that been done a lot? I, I was trying to think what other films I've seen with. Insects in the, the nearest equivalent would probably be there's phenomena, which perhaps got Donald Pleasance in it actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that's roughly the same sort of time. Okay. So, um, and there's there's a lot of because um, there's like the intro to Blue Velvet. Um, there's a there's like a, a big panning shot into grass like a, a, a lawn, and you and all the insects are. Sort of burrowing and everything else like that, and it's kind of, I mean, that's almost sort of ancient images of corruption and some yeah. things like that. And to link back round to John Carpenter, of course, Halloween three um, mm. with the child when they put him in front of the TV show and the, his head turns into uh, snakes, snakes and, and millipedes and, yeah. and maggots. I suppose that they are related to the devil, you know, the sort of a biblical thing. Well, he's even of locusts. Mm. Yeah, because. Because they even have the line in it about the small things, it? yeah. and it's not. And obviously, they then take it into like subatomic particles yeah. and stuff. But I mean, there is, it is. Sl- I I still think it is slightly dodgy that it's oh, so a bunch of homeless schizophrenics are the equivalent of worms. Do you know what? Insects, it's a bit. I was. I made a note of that. It's as a well. tad I dodgy. I was like, right, so he's got no power, so he can only attack the ants, then mm. the worms, the mindless then creatures, the big beetles, yeah. Yeah. then the homeless, yeah. then actual real people. Yeah. <laughs> it was also interesting that it was. Um, it seemed to be women that were the ones with the power. That's who he was actually controlling. Mm. It seemed more so because at first the men were dying, but then they came back to life. Mm. Yeah. 
But even the men coming back were kind of sort of pathetic. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the, women, the, women, the women were, were the, really sort of yeah. stridently powerful and the guys are all like, yeah. like the, the, the dude who slits his throat and spends the rest of the time whimpering and yeah. half laughing, whimpering, half yeah. laughing. And um, the guy with the snap neck and, yeah. Because, mm. I mean, and, and with the homeless thing, obviously, with um, Alice Cooper as head of the homeless. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the bike trick... The, the bit where he got a bike shoved, they yeah. shoved a bike through someone, that apparently was one of Alice Cooper's stage props. Oh, okay. And that was kind of part of the deal of him being in Prince of Darkness, was <laughs> John Carter said, can you bring some of your special effects <laughs> that you use on stage? And they're like, because he does a lot of guillotine stuff and a lot yeah, of theatrics yeah. and things, and that was apparently, yeah, yeah from his latest tour. And I'm fairly certain the guy was the guy who got stabbed. I'm fairly certain he was listening to Alice Cooper on his headphones. Mm. Oh, really? It yeah. Really. Se- that that I thought was a really eighties moment as well. Is that thing where it's like there's a, there was always the thing where it's like one guy permanently with headphones yeah. around his neck, yeah. and now it's not even a weird thing. <laughs> yeah, you because wouldn't. everyone's got yeah. headphones essentially, and so. But yeah, back in the eighties, there was always the one guy, usually with the orange phone. Uh, yes. headphones <laughs> but yeah and um, but yeah it's oh I did, there's something about that fi- that film in particular that just uh, he gets that atmosphere of an impending apocalypse mm. Mm. like it, like th- this is just an event that's only affecting 10 people but if it goes unchallenged the whole world's going to... And he, I don't know how he just manages to create an atmosphere out of that that really, I don't know, really strikes a chord with me. Tension. Mm. Yeah, that is yeah. what John Carpenter excels at, is tension. Because apparently, apparently, Prince of Darkness, he, he says that he has an apocalypse trilogy, which is the thing, Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness. That's right. And obviously the thing, very much the same thing, where it's like it's ten guys or whatever it is, yeah. But if it this is going to go global and, and yeah. the world will be fucked in mm. like four days or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, actually, yeah. In the Mouth of Madness is another film I do need to go back to at some point again mm. soon. I've not seen it for a few years and uh, never get bored of Sam Neill. So. No, no, it's impossible to get bored of Sam Neill. Have you seen In the Mouth of Madness? No. No. Well, that's another one. You've that's got another to look John Carpenter. Yeah. Oh, okay. So how did you feel about the 80s-ness of the whole? Yeah, like, I mean, I suppose it was obvious. Um, you know, you can see the way they're dressed and haircuts and so on. And uh, I suppose that could have got in the way a little bit. I'd, but actually, what overrode it slightly was that I was worried that we had another stalker because the way he was watching the girl to start with. <laughs> was like, is that going to get a bit too weird? Or yeah. And then it turned out, actually, he's quite nice and, you know, maybe he's just... A bit in just love with picking her his moment, yeah, yeah, rather than actually Wasn't trying too to. Bad. Yeah, I, th- I think it was the eighties when pretty much everyone was like, sort of, everyone thought that borderline sex offender was charming. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. we're not we're not quite the Wolfman, obviously. Where it's <laughs> yeah. basically, I've been spying on you. Really, let's get yeah. married. Yeah, it, I was worried it was going to go the full tale, but but luckily <laughs> they didn't quite go that far with it. <laughs> and I tell you what. There's a lot of facial hair in that film. I'd not actually remembered that. That man's moustache yeah. is magnificent. Yeah, what is it, the line from Bronson? A fine set of moustaches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, I like so yeah, so John Carpenter's soundtrack. Is yeah, yeah. So that was all over that. All his music, aside from the Alice Cooper. Yeah, yeah. It's it's him and a guy in the in the eighties. Because originally, what happened was is that he started doing the music for his films because he couldn't afford a score. Oh, okay. And his dad had his dad was a. Um, uh, I believe a music teacher mm-hmm. and he'd sort of taught him sort of you know bits and pieces and uh, different timings and stuff and like the theme tune because like the first John Carpenter film is Dark Star which is almost his it's the fo- it's like the completion of his student film and he did the music for that and then Assault on Precinct 13 mm-hmm. and then Halloween and, okay. But I mean, Assault on Precinct Thirteen and Halloween are ludicrously good in in terms of like I mean they're they're great anyway. But in terms of the music, they're so mm. it hooks you so much. I don't think yeah. Prince of Darkness has particularly that sort of hook theme, mm. but it works so but well. It's so simple. The stuff he plays, mm. it, it, when you're listening yeah. to it, you almost imagine him with one finger just. Mm. But but it just. It's the sort of, like you say, it's the loopingness of it that sort of draws yeah. you in, the way it sort of swirls and repeats itself yeah. around. And you just get drawn into that and it just builds with the atmosphere. And I had the very good fortune to see John Carpenter playing live because uh, now he um, he's released a couple of like, original albums of music that could be for a film but doesn't, yeah. but doesn't, uh, but, but they're, they're not anymore. And... Um, but yeah, I saw him live last Halloween, I think it was, or near enough last Halloween. Yeah, it was last Halloween. Mm. And that was incredible, but just the place was packed. I mean, really, really just, you know, so many people. And it was a very weird experience because obviously you go and see a band and usually there's people singing along or whatever like that. Whereas with this, it was just the weird thing of feeling everyone in time with the sort of yeah. with Halloween and with sort of all the bits the, the various themes and stuff and Escape from New York and it yeah I mean John Carpenter basically the I think the thing he didn't do the music for he got the western composer Ennio Morricone to do the score but then the score really sounds like a John Carpenter score yeah but but the, the rest of the time it's him or him and uh, the guy who was with him on this called Alan Howarth. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed the music because it's like, I, regardless of the films, John Carpenter's probably one of my favourite just musicians yeah. of all time. I think he just there's there's just something about the simplicity of it. But like you say, it's like that repetition thing, and it's sort of yeah. I think just, it. I think it's one of the few. Because I'm terrible for not noticing. I like if it's not there, I'll notice that that, that you don't have that boost to the atmosphere. Mm. But yeah, when I get to the end, and normally somebody says, "What an amazing score!" and I'll go, "Well, it must have been because it built tension, but I didn't yeah. hear." Yeah, it. do you know what I mean? You shouldn't be. You shouldn't, you shouldn't really be conscious notice it. of it. Yeah. But his his works, despite the fact it it is it, it does stand out. It mm. is quite glaring, but without being distracting, unlike... It's like I've always had that problem with Quentin Tarantino, um, where instead of having, like, a score, he'll just play some music that mm. he likes. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's not how it works. And I know a lot of people say, oh, it's very clever, it's very artistic. I just think it's lazy and terrible. 
but I, I, you know, I'll just. But I th- well, I think yeah, I, I know I know where you're coming from with it, and I think I know the other thing as well is I think that it can be because I know you said with like Inglorious Bastards where it's quite dissonant that there's a lot of music used in it that is post the era it's set yeah. in. And you almost end up like that. What was that? I can't remember what it was, but the King Arthur film, which has got like, like all sort of Bon Jovi and Queen all over it, or something like that. And it was just like, yeah, that's again, um, just is like, what? Yeah, what the fuck are you doing? This feels like I've like borrowed someone's Walkman <laughs> and watched Excalibur while I was at it. You know, yeah, sort of, yeah, it just doesn't meld particularly well now I'm wondering I watched Django Unchained the other day that's Quentin Tarantino mm, yeah. it is. but I cannot remember at all what the music was the what majority was of Django Unchained is actually other scores is it mm. yeah because okay. one thing he started doing and look, look, the guy I mentioned earlier Ennio Morricone is one, one of the people that he mm. regularly reuses their stuff from, uh, his stuff from other scores which I do genuinely think is cheating because at that point it's like, no, hang on, I wrote this for this, <laughs> yeah. you know. But there's like, a, but again, you've got stuff on there. I think there's like white. I think there's like Jack White stuff on there. Uh, Johnny Cash, and I know that Johnny Cash is a cowboy. Yeah. That is the the essence of Johnny Cash. Yeah. But still, he wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't an actual cowboy at the time. <laughs> mm. uh, on, on a side note, uh, Bob Mortimer once recommended that a cat should be called. Uh, Django Untrained. And I, just, I just like that. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I did see Django when it came out, and uh, yeah, I found it to be a very Quentin Tarantino movie. In that, yeah, there was lots of things I didn't like about it, and it was forty-five minutes longer than it should have been. <laughs> what, what would you say is the best Quentin Tarantino? Just so that we know, are there any? <sighs> I, I didn't mind Kill Bill. Um, Volume one. I quite. I've got a problem with his script writing. I think he suffers from the same thing as um, uh, Rob Zombie does to some degree, um, where the, the 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 script writing just feels massively unnatural and it's far too. I don't. I don't know. It's just. This, sort of verbose and yeah mm. it's a lot of it and, it and I've always found it with it like if you sit and listen to the discussion at the beginning of uh, Reservoir Dogs for example mm. when they're all sitting around the cat, and everyone says oh it's a fantastic piece of it and like it, it just sounds to me like you've said to a 12 year old there's a load of gangsters and they're talking they can swear as much as you mm. like and say really rude things go for it go for <laughs> it and it just feels like that for me it's just Unnecessarily, mm. you know what? You stick a load of blokes together in a room, sitting around drinking coffee. You're not immediately going to start talking like that. It just isn't. It it just is really glaringly strange to me. Really. I, th- I think the one thing that does happen a lot of because I mean I, I love Tarantino, but I think that a, a lot of the time the scripts are almost like everyone talks like this. Yeah, yeah see, that's the other. Do you know what I mean? It's There's like no... it's, you know, if you have like an alien from a different galaxy they shouldn't sound like a policeman from Manchester yeah and if the two meet they shouldn't just have exactly the same dialogue yeah, yeah. Not, not that that's a Tarantino film that no one's seen by the way with the monster and the, <laughs> and the great Manchester police force you know you're absolutely right yeah. I mean you could easily have taken because I watched I did Grindhouse the other week for the first time the two films back mm. to back 
um, because I didn't like Death Proof particularly. Mm. Um, but yeah, I found that the same. So the meeting with the girls when they're all sitting around in the cafe having their conversation, and as you say, it's exactly the same. If you pick them up and drop them into Reservoir Dogs and had that same script read by those men, would have worked just as well. It was mm. exactly... You, could, you shouldn't be able to pick somebody's dialogue out, as you say, and give it to another group of very different people. Yeah. It should be... Well, they wouldn't talk like that, but everyone in these films speaks... Talks like him. Exa- yeah, yeah, effectively. Mm-hmm. And it's... I go on, what about Dust Till Dawn? Um, his script, but not his direction. Okay. Oh, yeah, I've not gone back and to then Dust Till Dawn. No, see, the first I, I loved it when I watched it when I was young. And I guess it was because of the twist and mm. yeah. vampires and, and it was just entertaining, fun. I still think it's been entertaining. Yeah, it would, but so I watched it the other day and it is, it's still good. But yeah. just, yeah, it wasn't as... It, like, it seemed really clever when I was young and then it just didn't quite seem to have the same... Like, it was interesting, but just somehow seemed a bit lacking compared yeah. to how mm. I remembered it. I think from... T- I think... I think it was something that was a lot more fresh at the time, yeah. but now a lot more people. Ca- I think, really weirdly enough, Tarant- Quentin Tarantino's success fucked him up, yeah. or mm. fucked culture up in a way because mm. loads of people wanted to be Quentin Tarantino, yeah. and now he almost is cliched yeah. by the fact other people are doing uh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, and and done it so much, yeah, um, like the, but, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it, but from dusk till dawn. Um, there is, if you get the special edition, there's a making of, which is longer than the film, <laughs> and but it is one of the most entertaining things you'll ever see. Mm. It really, genuinely is, and I sort of yeah. But Prince of Darkness, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. So uh, one criticism was the the credit. Uh, what's it called? The, you know, what do you call that? It's not credits. There at the end. At the end. End. Titles or the t- titles? Yeah, where it shows the names of everybody. Oh, yeah, just, yeah. yeah the I felt like titles. I just kept going back to them a bit too much and breaking just enough. Oh, like at the, 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 at the start, at the intro, yeah. Yeah. where it's, yeah, like the opening credits. Yeah. yeah, and it just seemed like I would have preferred them to have done a bit more all together rather than keep going back to them. So it was mm. just a, you know. They, I, I, I actually hadn't realised that before, but when, yeah, no, when I was watching it, it was sort of like, oh, I don't because I remember thinking I'm sure Alice Cooper gets a credit yeah. and then and, but then it's like over the course of like yeah. eight ten minutes yeah. uh, that they do the whole thing yeah it's um, funny I like that they've stopped doing that so much now and yeah. you just get maybe your first you'll get your writer director two or three names and then they'll mm. they crack on a lot more but it's funny going back to watching as we discussed last week going back and watching the Universal stuff mm where the entire credits was at the beginning of the film and you mm. had to sit through the whole thing. And they sort of moved away from that. But yeah, in the 80s, they did go back to quite... Mm. Like, it, I think if it wasn't changed so... Like, where, where you can sort of blend it in a little bit more. Like Bond or somewhere like that, where it, yeah, it sort it of it's a part of the... Well, I think, but, but also, I think you can you can just overlay the credits over the action. Yeah. But to keep cutting to black... Just was a little too yeah, disruptive, yeah. that was mm, all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I thought, you know, this is great. Uh, you know, music's good. I'm interested in what's going on. Like, because they were cutting to several different things very mm. early on. It was like, okay, you get a little sense of something going on here, and you can see they're related, but yeah, fairly short scenes. Yeah. To sort of mm. introduce different parts, and it was good. But yeah, just then, all right, we've got another black screen with writing on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for another fifteen seconds, yeah. and then. But, 
Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. Speaking of the credits, though, I I forgot is that the script is credited to Martin Quatermass, which yeah, is I John Carpenter. That on the oh, way yeah. in, it made me laugh. And um, because John Carpenter massive is a massive fan of um, a British sci-fi television writer called Nigel Neal, and actually I've never noticed that before, but um, the uh, Mr. Tash. Kate um, said he was transferred from Neil University, and he actually had the the name on his shirt, yeah. and it's spelt the way it's K N E A L E, as in Nigel yeah. Neil. And but Nigel Neil wrote a series of um, classic sci-fi stuff for the BBC in the fifties called Quatermass, and so Martin Quatermass is that, and also John Carpenter actually asked. Um, Nigel Neal to provide him the script for Halloween 3 mm-hmm. and then apparently the uh, apparently none of uh, his stuff stayed in the script I, th- I don't know whether Nigel Neal just um, I think Nigel Neal disowned it because when he saw it there was basically nothing left of his original script or something like that mm-hmm. but um, I've got yeah. to say controversial as it is Halloween 3 Still my favourite Halloween film. I no, I love, love Halloween that film. <laughs> it's a shame. Basically, what happened was, although it's, although it's not a John Carpenter film, mm. John Carpenter's idea had been that Halloween could be like an anthology series. So every year you release a film at Halloween, yeah. and it's different. And but it's, it's about movie. something that happened at Halloween. Yeah. But unfortunately, what kind of bollocks that up was that there's Halloween and then Halloween 2, which is essentially the continuation of the same story. Yeah. So then they did Halloween 3, and everyone was like, where's Michael Myers? Where's yeah. Dr. Loomis? You know. And that's, that's another thing as well, is that um, Donald Pleasance, who is an absolute fucking god, and there's no two ways about it, <laughs> um, he is in uh, Halloween, he plays the psychiatrist who uh, seeks mm-hmm. out Michael Myers, and his character's name is Dr. Loomis. And the priest in Prince of Darkness is Father Loomis. Mm. So I'm kind of assuming that they're brothers, which is, which is quite nice, the idea that Haddonfield went tits up and then ten years later we nearly had the end of the world. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's pretty good, you know. <laughs> and obviously, and like you were saying, you've got like Victor Wong and Dennis Dunn in it, yeah. who were obviously in Big Trouble in Big, Little China, Big which Trouble, was, yeah. I think... I think Big Trouble is. I think that is the film that he did just before Prince of Darkness, um, and they're kind of holdovers from that. But again, it's that weird thing of like essentially your two main characters, uh, or certainly the two sort of like heavyweight characters in it are um, uh, Victor Wong, Donald Pleasance, and it's like basically you've got two scruffy old men. Yeah, yeah. You know, are your Leads, yeah, and I'm saving the world, yeah, and that feel that feels more accurate because I can't, I don't <laughs> yeah. believe, I don't believe that you know that it would necessarily work the other way, mm-hmm. but and yeah, it's just I do always like his casting. I've got to say, because mm. um, he does as as you as you watch more John Carpenter, he has a he he kind of has a repertory company, so. Jamie Lee Curtis turns up in quite a few of his films. Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell obviously. Yeah. Um, and uh, even the guy in that, the guy who played uh, Dr. 
Leary or Le- Leary or whatever it was. Uh, oh, um, I can't think of his bloody name. But no, I should be able to. Uh, Leahy. Leahy, sorry. It's the yeah. same as the guy from Trailer Park Boys. Yeah. Ah, right. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a good enough reason. Um, but yeah, he's he's been, yeah, I think he's in uh, Ghosts of Mars and he's been in a few others as well. Mm. And yeah, so he does he does tend to stick with he sticks yeah, with the it, actors if they if they've been effective I think because yeah. I always I always get confused I always think the main person in that is I always think that's Tommy Lee Wallace yeah no, where he's just hired an actor who really looks like Tommy yeah. Lee Wallace <laughs> yeah it's, yeah, it's um, it, it was it, I, as I was surprised going back despite the fact I didn't remember a lot of it mm. yeah I was surprised by how, how effective it is. Mm. And I don't know why it's been so long since I've seen it because if it's every bit as good as you know the Fog or any mm. of his other films I love, which I do watch a lot more frequently. Yeah. So I don't quite know why this one got left behind. It's it's got a weird uh, it's a weird thing that Prince of Darkness doesn't seem to get rated much. Mm. And yeah, like you say, I think it's the equal of. Like you say, it's not up there with They Live or Escape from New York. But it's, it's every bit as good. It's, it's, a film. It's, it's definitely. I definitely think it's in the same league as. I think it's. I think it's at that point of John Carpenter's career, which is sort of like assault on precinct thirteen, maybe through to They Live, hmm. where it's just a stream of great stuff. Yeah. You know, because you've got like the thing, Big Trouble in Little China, and yeah. Sorry, you may have noticed I'm a bit obsessed yeah. with John Carpenter, <laughs> and I'm very uh, sorry about that. Well, no, I, I apologise. Seems no, quite reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he hasn't made any terrible films. I think is the reason that it's. Um... I mean, I've not seen I've not seen The Walls, which is the, the, well, uh, the latest one that. Uh, yeah, that a was few director years back. for hire type situation. Ah, I think, right, right. So he he didn't actually have any. Uh, yeah, and fr- from again, I've not seen it, but yeah, from tell I've heard that. None of his uh, his iconic shots, and you know what I mean. Like mm. there are shots that you just see in a film and go, "Well, you you know that he picked that shot, and you know it was a rip." Uh, yeah, and apparently there's none of that in the world. It's very much just a very by the numbers. He came in, he shot it, and he didn't put his own mark on it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's it, it didn't seem from what I've heard to have any. Uh, Mm. Well, maybe we'll have to research it and see what's mm. see what's what with that. I mean, you saying about the comp, like the shots and everything else like that. All the exterior stuff in it. I mean, that church wherever they mm. found that. I mean, mm. I don't know whether it, I presume it's a, somewhere that's been done up rather than an actual abandoned church. But wherever that was is just just great because yeah. you've got like the sort of city skyline, but enough mm. of it is derelict that it fit. You would feel trapped there. Yeah, yeah. You yeah know, I you, got you, that you, when they were saying about escaping. Yeah, yeah. And you think said, there's no one out of this helpless, sure. and you think no, there isn't because there's nobody else about. Yeah. there is nobody. For it's you to it's clearly quite a quite a uh, pl- It's obviously clearly somewhere that's been abandoned enough that they're tolerating because what I said because the local government or whatever are tolerating the fact that it's obviously sort of home to a lot of derelict mm. uh, like homeless people and yeah. stuff like that and there's like all the rest of the shops there are shuttered up and knackered and everything because at one point I was thinking set fire to the building yeah. you know at least it will bring yeah. people there and it's yeah. like 
Possibly not. So no fucker will notice that the place is on fire. And you've just added to the problem. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did get a little bit worried as the action kicked off because um, all of a sudden he seemed to be quite a good fighter. And I wasn't sure if it was going to get a bit silly. Mm. Um, but I did like the way that um, the woman, who I've forgotten her name, um, was the sort of heroine from the other side. So it was women on the bad side. But then she yeah. saved them all by yeah. mm. sacrifice. So I thought that was a nice way to end it, and obviously the fact that he was upset. And then I especially liked the little jump at the end because I thought, yeah. "That's it, we're done." And, yeah. You know, yeah. it's fine. They've, they've saved it. And oh, what, where's she come from? See I, th- <laughs> see, I think that's the thing as well. Is, is uh, uh, there's that horror cafe, isn't there, where it's John Carpenter talking about stuff, yeah. and it, sort of half the people are. It's basically they've got all these people together. Uh, Clive Barker and Ramsey mm. Campbell and quite a few, uh, you know, a few people sat around the table and asked them to come up with a horror film. John Carpenter's there, and so is Roger Corman. And Roger Corman and John Carpenter are both aware when they're talking about scary, because all the novelists and authors who are there are very much, you know, it's concept horror. What's horrible about this? Mm. What gives you the creeps about this? Whereas John Carpenter and Roger Corman are much more sort of like, well, it's very easy. If you want someone to jump, you make a loud bang. Yeah. You know, or, you know, someone cuts their face off. That that immediately yeah. is a horror film. Yeah. You know, it's sort of... And yeah. I think it's... Yeah, I don't... I, th- I, th- I can honestly say I don't... Th- I think John Carpenter... It's weird. I don't think he gets the appreciation for how just technically good a director he is. Mm. He, in his sort of heyday, he knew exactly what he was doing. And he was he was like an engineer, mm. almost, rather than an artist. Mm. It's like, sort of, you know, he's just precision builds these things, you know. It's, it's, and I'll go back to it again, and I will continue to go back to it till the day I die. But Big Trouble in Little China mm. is... Every shot in that is every element of every shot is beautiful. Mm. Even even the dirty, horrible, disgusting alley, in some ways, just looks mm. perfect mm. and shiny. And it just it it just manages to fill every shot. Mm. And as you say, it's not just a matter of oh well, you know, we need an alley. We stick some people in it. We'll put some lights there, and that'll be good. It'll look lovely. Everything you see, all the little details, mm. are just, just spot on, and, it, and it, it, it just makes the whole film feel. I wonder if it comes from an error of pre CGI as well, in so much as you couldn't fix shit in post. Mm. Yeah, if you got it wrong, you, on the day, if something didn't look was, right, you couldn't just erase it out, yeah. or because what was it? It was like, um, uh, oh, I forget which one. I, th- I think it's um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And there's a bit where they just sort of pan across, I believe it's like Morocco, mm. possibly, where they, or Istanbul or something. But mm. they pan across and basically the film crew had to go around and get everyone to take down their telly aerials mm. so it would look right. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas now you just film it and just, and then just erase those. Yeah. yeah, And that's, and in a weird way... Okay, that does make life a lot simpler, and you have you don't have to pay as many people to go around and deal this, and you don't have to put up with someone being awkward. Mm. But still, there is a strength to the fact that you've actually had to physically mm. do this. Yeah, you've had to pay yeah. that attention to. It. As you say, mm. you can't make mistakes, 
you know, mm. if you if you didn't think of that at the time, I mean, how many times have you taken a photograph of something and you're somewhere and you go, I'll take that photograph, it'd be lovely. And then when you get home, you go, oh, if I'd just taken it an inch further over or if I'd just... Whereas, yeah, as you say, with film, you go off to Morocco, you shoot for three mm. days, you come back and go... Oh, oh shit! Fuck that guy with a satellite dish. McDonald's <laughs> in the background. I didn't yeah. want that. Too late. Nothing mm. you can do about it. Yeah. No. So every shot has been perfectly engineered because if it isn't, your film just becomes a laugh. Spe- oh. Speaking of notable film mistakes, just a bit off topic. Um, you know the famous stormtrooper banging his head. Yeah. Um, there's now a fan theory going around that that is uh, Snoke. Yeah. <laughs> Because that explains the scar on his head. Is because when he clocked his hat, when he clocked the helmet going through the door. Some people, I know. I've got to say, some people have too much time. But that's us sitting here talking about horror for weeks on him. But yeah, at least we're not adding extra bits that aren't in there. <laughs> Apart from the Loomis brothers. Obviously. Oh yeah, yeah. But then that's, that's that's just that's just a perfectly valid consideration made by myself. But yeah, yeah. So definitely, really good. Um, mm. Good, good amount of scary bits and intriguing bits and mm. a bit of science and yeah. The pacing's well, yeah. good. Like he does, he does have that film does have some bits that it's got enough to keep you going, but then he still drops long stretches. Yeah, of mm. I think like you said, it was it was a good tension build like that. He definitely mm. had that, you know. So it was interesting, you know, what's going to go on next and. How's it going to build? And yeah, you know, because so. I th- I th- yeah, I, th- I think he manages to put, like you say, there's jumps in there, mm. but it's not just jumps. Yeah, yeah, it's not paranormal activity where it's just like if we make this really quiet and then really loud, yeah. that'll scare the shit out of you. <laughs> but there's also, oh Jesus, you've just made me jump like that, and I'm too busy thinking about Satan coming back from that mm. fucking flask, you bastard. <laughs> you know. So. So, <laughs> next film. Mm. So we've done. So what we, we've done relatively modern. Yep. I think what is what is it? Two thousand and twelve. Yep. Yep. So relatively modern. And we've done right back to the originals. Mm-hmm. We've now done a bit of eighties. Mm-hmm. I think. Tell me if I'm speaking out of turn here. I think we should now go back to in between those two time frames. So between Wolfman and uh, and Prince Darkness, go for a bit of Hammer. Mm. I think it might be time for a bit of The Devil Rides Out. I'm definitely up for that. You know I'm up for that. Bit of Dennis Wheatley. I don't know who that is. He's a he's he was an expert in the uh, occult. Um, he wrote lots of books. Uh, he was a novelist. He was um, the Barbara Cartland of occult <laughs> thrillers. Um, and two of his films were made into Hammer movies. One was worked way more successfully than the <laughs> other, but uh, one, in fact, killed Hammer Horror. But mm. <laughs> Essentially, not, yeah. not his fault, though. Not his so, fault. so what is Hammer known for? So Hammer are, um, was, was a British company... That did so. They started with the Quatermass. They started with on the buses and those type of very British mm-hmm. TV. They did the Quatermass movie. They, didn't they? Yeah, they did adaptions of the Nigel Neal, who I was talking about earlier, that yeah. John Carpenter was obsessed with. Um, he did. Uh, he did three uh, series for the BBC. There was uh, 
the Quiet Mass experiment, Quiet Mass Two, and uh, Quiet Mass in the Pit, and then Hammer adapted. Um, they adapted Quite a Mass. Uh, they they adapted the first one, the Quite a Mass experiment, and then that was so successful that they then made a movie called X the Unknown. Oh yes, which is basically them writing what they thought was a Quite a Mass film. Then they went to Nigel Neal and said, "Can we call this Quite a Mass?" And he told them, "Piss off." <laughs> so they didn't call it Quite a Mass, but mm. it's their sort of attempt at that. And then they did Quite a Mass Two. Later on, they adapted Quite Mass in the Pit because it must be sometime because that by that point they're in colour, yeah, and they're not reliant on American stars and stuff like that, are they? Um, and really, it was the, it, the thing that really did for them was adaptions of classic Gothic horror, mm. Frankenstein, yeah. Dracula. So they revived them back for the first time since they After were Universal big in the universe. Mm. Right, okay. um, Universal were nervous about it and um, sent their lawyers out and stuff and told them. So Universal were American. Universal Hammer were yeah, and Hammer were British. Yeah, okay. um, so when they said they were going to be doing because they remade um, Dracula um, mm. with the horror of Dracula, uh, so it's it, it's. Although it's got Dracula in it, it isn't the typical Dracula story as, as Universal had done it. Um, and, but that was very successful, so they were then going to do Frankenstein. At that point, Universal... I think it's the other way around, actually. Oh, they did Frankenstein first, because... Sorry, yes, I think that, Because right. Christopher Lee, that's why he's Dracula. Because they were like, actually, this guy can talk. That's right. <laughs> You're right. Sorry. Because he's the monster in in the in the very first Frankenstein. Because yeah. it's oh, okay. Yeah. So you can't tell it's him in that. Thing. You you can tell it's him, yeah. but the the basically they had to do whatever happened. Universal had the copyright on square head and bolts. Okay. So they because had to make that was in the right. original book. That was yeah. all Jack Pierce's. Okay. So they had to. Design. They basically did their own corpse makeup. He yeah. looks not unlike the Madball Slobulus. <laughs> if you remember Madballs, I do remember Madballs. Yeah, and he's sort of, but it's sort of one eye here, one eye there, you know, right. and sort of, yeah. Yeah, it's very good, and again, it, because colour had just come in, it was full of mm. gore and blood, okay. and that basically, yeah. And there was heaving bosoms, <laughs> which then obviously extends out into sort of like 60s and 70s where it's actually we can show tits yeah. oh and they did oh yes they did um, but yeah so Hammer was was very very slow paced mm. not as slow paced as the Universal stuff um, but looking back on it now compared to the 80s it, it was yeah. quite slow um, and much more uh, I don't want to say hammy but yeah, the acting melodramatic. Is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Again, closer perhaps to stage acting than. So I might, I might have a little adjustment to try and do to you get into it. it. Um, okay. Just as a thought, and obviously, I mean, it's 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 horror sci-fi, I suppose. Hmm. But what about Quiet Mass in the Pit? Hammer Quiet Mass in the Pit because I think what, that stands instead up. Of, uh, I don't know because I think that stands up. No, I'm intrigued I'm... to work out what this word Quiet Mass is because it's not a word I quite understand how to pass properly yet. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's a person or thing. It's, or it's a, a person. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's basically the stories. Uh, the stories are based around a man called Professor Bernard Quiet Mass okay. who runs um, a thing called the British Rocket Group. That's optimism for you, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but it was the 1950s before it was yeah, discovered yeah. that we were going to the moon anytime soon. And um, 
Yeah, it's basically uh, the very first story is uh, about him sending uh, sending some astronauts up in his rocket. He's a rocket scientist. Um, he sends them, but and they come back. Uh, well, three of them go up, one of them comes down, and he's okay. significantly and altered. Yeah. yeah, and then okay. and then I, it sort of follows on from there. Really, but yeah. I find the the Quatermass ones feel a lot more like Universal than they do like Hammer. Mm. They've got that very... Yeah, the, the, two, the two black and white ones are very yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, they've got that really slow-paced... Mm. Um, yeah, and you, again, it's, it's that, you know, not getting to see too much. It's mm. it's all hinted at. Yeah. Um, and a lot like... It obviously reminds me a lot of The Fly as well, for mm. multiple reasons. But yeah, it's got that very... It does feel a lot more like, and again, obviously the the American independence stuff that was going on at the time as well. Because mm. this was the uh, also the first two Quatermass films. The guy playing Quatermass is a uh, American actor called Brian Don Levy, um, which was because at the time Hammer were doing that thing of well, if we get an American star in it, then we can sell it to America. Okay. Because America weren't going to necessarily buy yeah. an unknown product, buy an unknown company, all the way from England, you yeah. know. And that would obviously completely throw an American audience and they would be mm. horrified to have not had anything familiar to grasp onto. <laughs> the poor little lambs. And so, so, but bear in mind, now I don't want to watch things because I'm going to like them. So mm. don't adjust <laughs> it. Like What I want yeah. to do is to try and work through everything I think, I think Devil Rides Out is still a very good proposition. Because I think that's the thing, is basically what happened was is Hammer had, um, they were adapting, sort of, uh, they adapted uh, Frankenstein, they adapted Dracula. Um, they didn't really do uh, Jekyll and Hyde, did they? They did They did variants of Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, I don't think they, they did the standard. They never did. The same as they, you know, with, as you say, with, although they made tens of Dracula movies, mm. I don't, they never recovered the original. No, because that's the thing is that they then had a series of Frankenstein and Dracula's, much the same as how Universal did. Um, but obviously, the 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 first films in the sequence are the only ones that are related to the books. Then they've extrapolated oh, yeah. out, yeah. and the Frankenstein ones, I think, are particularly. That's actually a particularly fascinating group of films. Yeah, because Frankenstein. Story arc. Yeah, because yeah. uh, well, I think it's. I think it's partly because of Peter Cushing. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so I was going to say, which Hammer films is he sort of best known for? Because I know he's in them, but I just don't know. Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee were in... They were the, the main... In, yeah, in nearly all of them, really. They were there... If if you want to find an analogy, probably like the Carry On films, they were the Sid and Kenneth yeah, Williams. Okay. You know, they were in right. all of the... You know, all of the proper ones. and I, mean, I guess that's character. how Peter Cushing was cast for Star Wars as the mm. main bad guy. Because mm. And Christopher well Lee in um, Attack of Clones as well. Yeah, so I've only ever seen that once. Yeah. So I kind of know that he's in it. I don't yeah. remember it fully, but he was Count Dooku. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Which, which, let's face it, Count D. Yeah. I mean, I think the, I think the obvious, that was yeah. a very obvious influence. Apple but, yeah. didn't fall far from the tree. Um <laughs> But yeah, so Christopher Lee is in um, The Devil Rides Out, okay. but he isn't. Uh, but Chris, uh, but Peter Cushing isn't 
Right. Um, is that before Peter Cushing was around? Or no, no, this was... It, it just... It, yeah, there, there wasn't any... I assume there just wasn't anything for his character. Right. Really. I, th- I think so. I mean, he may have been doing other films, because that's the thing as well, is that yeah. they were such... All the actors who appeared in the Hammer films also appeared in stuff by Tygon, Amicus, yeah. and there was... I think there was just... They were just doing so much work, yeah, you know? Right. I mean, Peter Cushing at the time was probably... you know, And, and Christopher Lee... I mean, Christopher Lee was sort of in the hundreds of films. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that they just, yeah, they would. He might have not been available for it, or like you say, there's probably not really a role for him in it. No. Did Did he mostly play the same sort of roles? Then it was that he had. No, I thought they both covered a, a mm. quite a gambit of okay. of stuff. Yeah, because I mean, you go from I mean, for for example, with Peter Cushion, you go from. Um, he plays it's Baron Frankenstein in the Hammer ones, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So he's Frankenstein, but then he's also Van Helsing. So you're almost like mm. the opposite of you are okay, yeah. you are the demon, the, the, the yeah. devil of these films, and you are the god, uh, the Jesus of these films. You know, you yeah. sort of yeah. Arch nemesis. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I think I think really the Devil Rides Out was them was again Hammer looking because they'd had such success adapting books. Mm-hmm. Um, so they looked to other horror novels and stuff like that I mean if he'd have been around then I'd imagine they'd have probably knocked out a load of Stephen King stuff yeah because it was whoever was a successful you know what what was already a successful property yeah that okay. they could get the rights to yeah and it, it's, it's just it's a really nice looking film um, it's got a great atmosphere it's really well paced mm. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it, for me. It's I would or if I went to Hammer, I would always go to that film top mm. of my list. Um, I th- I think it is I think it is an excellent intro to Hammer because you because it's not it doesn't have it's not part of a series. Mm. It doesn't have a sequel. It doesn't have uh, literally the only thing it doesn't have that's Hammer is Pete Cushing. Cushing. Yeah. Really, that's, but apart from that, it's it's all the bases. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. And, and what's your um, both of your takes on the real life reanimation of Peter Cushing in the new Star Wars? I was I was okay with it. Uh, I think initially it worked, but the more they put him in it, the, the less it worked. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'll, was, but I I still. I still went with it. I still think they it made a good job. It certainly didn't draw me. I mean, if you, mm. I mean, if they'd tried that ten years ago, and you imagine how that would have looked, mm. yeah. Cool, yeah. Okay. Would have so been you think painful. it was it was kind of just good enough that they sort of got away with it? But I suppose yeah. the idea as well of, of um, you know bringing someone back in that way because that's going to happen more and more now. Yeah. Like, yeah. From a sort of uh, global perspective, I like it because I like that Star Wars are sort of continuing to do kind of mm. new things. Because they were the first to do um, a complete CGI character. Yeah. Jar Jar Binks, obviously, yeah. no one likes him, but still. But in terms of the achievement. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and obviously the effects they did um, mm. with Industrial Light Magic and the original Star Wars were sort of pushing the envelope. Mm. So I, I kind of like it from that perspective. I think also just from the fact that I got to see a new film with Peter Cushing. Yeah, I was quite pleased yeah. about yeah. it. You know? And I think the guy, the guy who was doing it was pretty good as well. He's, um, mm. he's in Casualty. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's—I think he's actually young Sherlock Holmes. He's Sherlock Holmes in mm. the film Young Sherlock Holmes. Oh really? Yeah. I rewatched that like a fortnight ago. Well, there you go. But yeah, that's him. Um, oh, he's much older okay. now, but he is 
he's got the right frame and he's got the right voice yeah. to sort of do it anyway. Yeah. And yeah, I think yeah, it, was, I was, it, was, it was it was like great. I've got a Star Wars film. It's got Darth Vader in it, but it's also got Tarkin yeah. in it. I'm happy. I, if I'm honest, I think even on the big screen, I think it took me a couple of seconds to suddenly go, "Oh look, there mm. he is." Hang on a minute. Mm-hmm. He's out. What? Yeah. Yeah, and that it was only then when you sort of scrutinise it and go, mm. oh yeah. So because yeah. I think I think the Princess Leia was much more effective. Yeah. Because sure, of the because yes. of the briefness yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. But still, I think they did yes. uh, they did an incredible job of it, and it didn't. Yeah, like you say, it didn't take me out of the action or make me, you know, dislike it in any way. No, no. And it, it also made sense in a way because I suppose the only other way you could have gone with it is you wouldn't have had Krellick in it, and you'd have had. Tarkin all the way through. Yeah, but mm. you really couldn't have done that. No. So you needed yeah. someone to, that sort of interim to be that kind of a character. Yeah, mm. and as you say, the fact that they didn't overuse the character mm. either, you know, sort of kept the screen time to a minimum, mm. which I'm sure was monetary just as much as. Interesting to see the next, um, you know, film that decides to do something mm. to mm. that degree. Well, I think the next one that's exterior is a Han Solo movie, isn't it? And they've just recast. They've got a, a, a younger actor yeah. to play Han Solo. And have they, and they might have already filmed some of the older Han Solo previously. I read. I thought okay. they might yeah. already have footage they're going to use. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, something else to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. Rogue One comes out in. I probably shouldn't give it a timestamp because then people know when this was recorded. But in about two weeks, I think it's well, out on all, DVD. All I know is, whatever you say, Lee, mm. Donald Trump will never be president of the United <laughs> States of America. So. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this Trump man everyone keeps talking? Um, well, I'm Trump man. I'm a superhero, so is Pitt with my thoughts. <laughs> but yeah, excellent. So, yeah, yeah Devil great. Rides Out next one. That's something yes. to look forward to. Mm. Oh, it is, always is. And like, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed uh, Prince of Darkness because yeah. there's so much good 80s horror mm. that if you hadn't liked that, that we could well have been screwed. <laughs> we could have had, well, that's yeah. cut half the films that I want to watch out. And move well, but, so, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, great. Cool, let's wrap it up. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, yeah, go out, watch The Devil Rides Out and then uh, we'll all have a little chat about it. Yeah. <laughs> good night. Night, night.